Good morning, Stony Creekers. Feels like our bones when I say Stony Creekers. It feels like we're going to, our creaky bones. We like to welcome all of our guests, our visitors, our members, and friends to our service today. Um, you probably remember that today we'll be recognizing um, our saints that have passed over the last year, as well as taking Holy Communion. So we've got a busy day going on here. We've um, November 7th, this Tuesday, is going to be our fresh produce food gatherers distribution. So 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock, not 4. No, I always tell them the wrong time, and they can't find a parking place. So I'm doing it, doing it right this time. And um, we're currently working on putting together uh, 25 Thanksgiving baskets for our bishop families that are, have food insecurity. Um, last year it was 12. This year we have 25. There, there is a, a greater need out there. And I just want to say on, on behalf of the outreach committee, thank you that any of you that have given a donation for these baskets, it is greatly appreciated. It truly is. The, these families are just, they're very, very special. And our lunch bunch had gathered on Thursday and had uh, fun and laughter conversation. We're not sure when the next one's going to be. Um, we're starting to head into a rather busy time of the year, so we may do something like a movie and potluck night. We did that last year, and the kids could watch a movie, and the adults could play euchre. Don't play with Bob. He, he, he gets a little excited when he plays euchre. Ooh. Slams those cards. But anyway, so we'll figure out what we're going to do. So as we prepare for our service this morning, we are going to be singing from the red folder, 10,000 Reasons. It's number 78 in the red folder. And I shall turn it over to Miss Teresa. Thank you, Barb. And as she said, our song for today is in the red folder that should be near you in the pew. And if there's not one in front of you, you could grab one from the pew in front or the pew behind. And... Um, and Gilda and Annette, if, if folks who are visiting, if they need a red folder, if you could grab a red folder and pass it along. Um, we're not asking you to stand and sing on this one, but we wanted you all to be uh, feel welcome to sing along as you wish. We will present, and you can just sing along. Um, <clears throat> but as a word of introduction, today as we remember our friends and loved ones who have passed on during the last year, we remind ourselves that despite any sadness or tribulation or loss we experience, God is still there. God is still is always there. And he is all, our all-powerful and loving Lord. And we have indeed 10,000 reasons to praise and adore him, morning, noon, and night. Uh, this anthem that we will share this morning, 10,000 Reasons, is a worship song that was co-written by the English Christian singer-songwriter Matt Redman and his collaborator, the Swedish songwriter Jonas Myron. That he was, it was first recorded by Matt Redman in 2011, 
and later it was covered by other artists and uh, included as worship music in English, but also in many language translations around the world. And another trivia fact, in 2013, this song actually won two Grammy Awards, including Best Contemporary Christian Music Song. The song is a contemporary version of a classic worship song, making the case for 10,000 reasons for my heart to find to praise God. The songwriters tell us that their inspiration for this song they wrote, uh, it came through the opening verse of Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Matt Redman has said that the song reiterates how we, quote, live beneath an unceasing flow of goodness, kindness, greatness, and holiness. And every day, we're given reason after reason why the Lord is so completely and utterly worthy of our highest and best devotion. 10,000 Reasons lists various attributes of the love of God for mankind that makes him worthy of praise unending, worship for 10,000 years, and then forevermore. The song lists these characteristics of God, his holiness, loving kindness, slowness to anger, kind heart, his goodness, and his great name. The 10,000 Reasons concept is used in two portions of the song. First in the lyrics, your name is great and your heart is kind, for all your goodness I will keep on singing, 10,000 Reasons for my heart to find. And the second, at the lyrics very appropriate for today, and on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. Worship is holy name. 
For our opening prayer, if you will join me as we read this. In life and in death, you bless us, O God. When trouble overwhelms us, you save us. When sorrow overtakes us, you comfort us. When death overcomes us, you overcome death and raise us to new life. Your promise is a joy everlasting, and even now, give us glad hope and glimpses of your realm, which is to come when Christ makes all things new, for calling us your children and bestowing upon us such great love, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And now as we prepare for our um, offering, how can we withhold our gifts of gratitude in the face of such wondrous love? With glad and generous hearts, let us bring our offerings to God. as we join into our doxology.
We magnify your name, O God, and together exalt your name, for you are so good to us and gracious beyond measure. In this life, you lead us, comfort us, guide us, and redeem us in countless ways. In death, you usher us to even greater blessing, bringing us through the great ordeal, embracing us in your endless light, and welcoming us to your table of goodness and plenty. These gifts we bring are but a token of our thanks, seeds to be planted for the growing of your kingdom, in which we have sure and certain hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He's about five. You're going to get the kids' time? Oh, you can sit down. I'm sorry. (laughs) Unless you want a sucker, then you can come on up here, sit with the kids, and you'll get a sucker. And he knows this is not my favorite thing being up here, so <laughs> it's okay. Awesome. Okay. So this month in Sunday school, we're going to continue to learn about members of God's family. So do you remember who some of the people we've talked about already? Isaac. I was going to say one shares a name with your mom. Sarah. Who was Sarah's husband? Starts with an A. Abraham. And we talked about Isaac. And now we were talking about Jacob and his brother. So take up in your class. Close. It does start with an E, and it's not a name we hear a lot. Esau. Good job. Yeah, that's not that's not a name we hear a lot. Okay. So we are going to read our next story. So this story is called the birthright. And we're going to talk more about what birthright means when we get in Sunday school, but we're going to learn a little bit about it right now, okay? Okay. Esau and Jacob continued to grow up. And remember, were Jacob and Esau regular brothers? What were they? They were uh, twins. They were twins. One day, Esau returned home from hunting. Jacob was making lentil stew, and Esau was very hungry. Can I have some lentil stew and some bread, Jacob? Esau asked. Sure, if you trade me your birthright. For some stew, Jacob said. Esau thought about this. His birthright made him the leader of their family when they became grown-ups. That was several years away, though, and he was hungry now. Did he really need to be the leader and get all the family's treasures, or did he need to eat? You can have my birthright, said Esau. One bowl of stew coming right up, said Jacob. So I wonder, do you think Esau should have agreed to that deal? No, it's just one stupid thing. 
Esau is the one that hunts. But he wanted food now. If he hunted, you got to hunt it, you got to take care of it, then you got to cook it. And he was hungry now. So he really wanted that soup and said, you can have my birthright, which basically means when he was older, Esau was going to be the leader of their tribe. So kind of like the, the president of their tribe, right? And so he would be in charge of everyone and all of the money and livestock, all the animals they had would be his. And he's like, you know what? I'm really hungry. I'll give you all of that. Just give me some soup. Well, everything in their entire family just for some soup. He must have been pretty hungry. Oh, you sh- he should have traded it for soup for life. That would have been a good deal. Apparently, we weren't good at negotiating. We just wanted to, like, get that soup then. But I'm with you, Lucy. I'd be like, let's make a deal here, okay? A billion dollars. Well, I mean, that's kind of what he did. That's what Jacob did in a lot of ways. He said, I'll give you soup for all your money. And he said, yes. That must have been either some really good soup or some or a really hungry guy. Or it was like very fancy soup. Very fancy soup. Well, it was lentil. I don't know how fancy lentil soup can get. I mean, I'm sure it can get pretty fancy. But I don't know if it got that fancy back then. Okay, so can you guys help me say a prayer? We're going to repeat after me prayer. Okay. Dear God, Dear God help us to be a blessing and share our blessings with others. Amen. Okay, you can take a sucker and then... Everyone is going to head, everyone can head down to the Sunday school room and we'll watch our video together. Oh, it's communion, so we'll do the Lord's Prayer later. I don't think so. I think that's about it. Oh, no, it looks like just suckers. Okay. I saw him walk in. There's a lot of thought that goes into picking out those suckers. I gotta get just the right one. Trust me, I know because sometimes you see the sucker laying on the floor or on a table. Not the right choice. Um, at this time, if you would like to open your red hymnals, we are going to be using our voices to sing number 698, God of Ages. And feel free, you don't have to stand. You can stay seated. Oops, Tammy's. Oh, there she is. You moved.
Okay. At this, have to look at the script every once in a while. Um, we're going to be doing the remembrance of our saints at this time. I believe that you should have had a little handout, probably looking something like this. It's the um, prayer litany. I'll be reading some words, and then there's going to be, in the bold print, that's where you will join us. We'll all join together. Ever-loving God, this day revives in us memories of loved ones who are no more. What happiness it was when they walked among us. What joy when, loving and being loved, we lived our lives together. Their blessing is a blessing forever. Days, weeks, months, or years have passed, and still we feel near to them. Our hearts yearn for them. The bitter grief has softened. A duller pain abides. For the place where once they stood is empty now. The links of life are broken. The links of love and longing cannot be broken. Their souls are bound up in ours forever. We see them now with the eye of memory, their faults forgiven and their virtues grown larger. So does goodness live and weakness fade from sight. We remember them with gratitude and bless their names. Their memory is a blessing forever. And we remember the members as well who but yesterday were a part of our congregation, community, and families. To all who cared for us and labored for all people, we pay tribute. May we prove worthy of carrying the tradition of our faith, for now the task is ours. Their souls are bound up in ours forever. We give you thanks, O God that they now live and reign with you. As a great crowd of witnesses, they surround us with their blessings and offer you hymns of praise and thanksgiving. They are alive forevermore in Christ Jesus. Amen. The candles that are lit during this uh, service symbolize the eternal light of Christ Jesus and the love of those lives that we remember this day, those saints who God has shared with us. Helen Ford. Daniel Davis. Bruce Upston. Sue Menzies. Tim Ford, Palmer Swanson, Charlie Rushing, Virginia Davis Brown, Pamela Jean Bounton, Ronnie Eyre, Melvin Thompson, Jean Granson, Granston, 
Jeff Turner, Shirley Ellicott, Reverend Eric Stone, Ellie Treblecox, Sarah Sanderson, Donna Barry McIntyre, and the last candle is lit in memory of anyone unnamed who, while not listed here, is remembered in the hearts of those loved ones left behind. Bob's going to take the microphone around if you have joys or concerns that you would like to share at this time. I do have a joy. My son John is getting married next Friday, November 10th, in Frankenmuth. He's going to be marrying Hallie. And um, later on, they'll be celebrating their honeymoon in Switzerland and Germany right before Thanksgiving. So it's going to be a lot of fun this next weekend. Um, my surgery is this Thursday. And uh, it's an outpatient procedure, and I feel pretty positive about it, but I still need your prayers. Um, it's great to see the whole Ellicott family here. What a joy. Uh, I'll get through this. Jim and I used to sit right here in front of Shirley and Fred, and we've moved over to the aisle, but today we came back in honor of Shirley and Fred and all the family. Love you guys. It's a joy to be here after a week in the hospital and two and a half weeks at the, at the nursing home. I'm just glad to be here. I'm still going to be another week or so until I learn how to walk. But thank you to Bob for coming to get me this morning and the cards and everything. Kathy Heiss could not be here today, but she wanted me to give an update on her niece, Andrea Taglione. And I don't have her married name, but Andrea was here with us in our congregation for several years. She sat here and played flute in praise band. She is now all grown up, and she's a doctor and works in, uh, as a physician in the UP. She and her husband have two, uh, two small toddler daughters, and she's expecting um, an additional baby due in February. But as we heard in recent weeks, her, um, um, I believe her water broke, but she went into labor early and we've been praying for her and I have a sad update today because she did give birth this week and the baby did not make it so we need to pray for this whole family Andrea Taglioni and her family um, she and her husband have lost two babies in the last two years although they do have their two 
two toddler daughters, but let's remember all of them during the, these coming weeks. Uh, one of my piano students, uh, whose name is Maria, and she's 10, and she, her father uh, was admitted to the ICU this week, was bleeding in the brain, so we're not really sure how he's doing, but if you could keep him in your prayers, his name is Jesse Dawson. We also have a joy. Uh, Nick got a job at Menards, and he starts on Monday. Great to see so many of you in church today. I think this is the biggest... Uh, get-together we've had in quite a while. Thank you for coming. If you would please turn to number 349 in your hymnal for our invitation to prayer, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. please join me in an attitude of prayer. Eternal God, author of our past and promise of our future, we lay before you our private fears and our concerns for the world, knowing that you hear our cries. Especially today, we pray for those whom Jesus called blessed, for the poor in spirit, For those who mourn, all of us this day as we remember the saints who have gone on to glory and perfection in your perfect grace, we also lift up Andrea and her family who have lost a child. For the humble and the meek, those who go above and beyond to help their fellow man, For those who thirst and hunger for righteousness and justice, including in places of war, including Israel and Palestine and Ukraine and Russia and everywhere else where violence is reigning in power. For the pure in heart and the opportunity to spend time with our loved ones, those who we have not seen in a while, those who we celebrate in the opportunities of finding new work, those who we celebrate with of two lives coming together in a marriage. For those who show mercy and those who make peace, we are thankful for those who work so hard to keep those of us in this world healthy and alive, who struggle with their health, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. We ask that your hands would guide the efforts 
of those who will be with Bev Berry on her surgery coming up, as well as those hands who are caring for Maria's dad, Jesse, and of course the hands that continue to care for and help Andrea and her family. For those who are persecuted because of Christ, whether the saints of old, the prophets of old, or the prophets and saints of now. Pour out your blessing upon them and us that we may be strengthened in every hardship and joyful at the recognition of every blessing. We call to mind before you all those who have died, those who have taught us the faith, those who have spoke your truth in the face of evil, those who have cared for the weak and the suffering, and those whom we loved and cherished the most. Thank you that their pain is ended and that their joy made complete. Covenanting God, in baptism you claim us and show us how to live. Keep us in your care until that day when all creation sings your praise and you lead all your children to the springs of the water of life. Through Jesus Christ, our brother, redeemer, and Lord. Amen. And if you would please join me aloud in our prayer for illumination. In your word, O God, show us heaven. By your spirit, show us truth. Through Christ, the living word, in whom we see your face. Amen. I knew I was going to forget something, and... um, After our service this morning, we would welcome you to come and join us in the fellowship hall for coffee, tea, hot cocoa, and some some goodies. So please feel free to join us afterward. Our first scripture reading of this morning is from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It's the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And then it goes into the Beatitudes. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Um, Slight change in the program. 
We were going to be uh, doing uh, some special music, uh, The Sound of the Saints, but Pastor is not, he's kind of coming down with a cold. He's not feeling on top of his game, so we're going to postpone that song for a while. What we are going to do is turn in your red hymnal to uh, song number 709. reading comes from Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 17. It's about the great multitude in white robes. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you would please join me in an attitude of prayer. God of resurrection, eternal hope, endless grace, and who has the final word over life and death, we come before you humbled by the shadow and mystery of death. There is so much we do not know about death and the life to come. And we struggle when we do not know things or feel we do not have control of them. Help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to let go and to lean into the promises you have made about this life and the life to come. And now may the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts together in this place be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. May the wisdom, the legacy, and the love of the saints be with you always, this day and every day. And may you always know and witness the perfect grace and unconditional love of God the Creator, God the Redeemer, and God the Connector. I want to quickly say a a thanks to everyone who kind of jumped in at the last minute to help me this Sunday. Um, I am a bit under the weather. It's not COVID, though, so... um, But I'm going to keep a little bit of a distance because while I don't mind going on hospital visits, I don't like being the cause of hospital visits. So I'm going to keep everybody healthy between now and the new year. That's the plan. Um, So on, on this All Saints Sunday, we celebrate and we remember those who have gone on before us into perfection and into the places that God has prepared for us. We also are beginning a new sermon series for the month of November called The Good News About Death. Um, And that's going to carry us through the reign of Christ Sunday at the end of this month. Now, 
At funerals, or at least most funerals, we, we often speak about death. But it's rather rare that we tackle the subject of death head-on in our Sunday routine. Death is a, a challenging topic for most people, and for a variety of different reasons. There are still many parts about dying and death that we don't quite know, and, and that lack of information it can lead to things like fear and anxiety and, and other troubling feelings. And yet, at the core of the Christian faith is a word about death and life beyond death. Many of you may be familiar with a book that came out several years ago called Heaven is for Real. And uh, between that book and some other ones that were written around the same time that fit into that kind of that genre, um, if the initial book sales for those uh, those books are any indication, it's pretty clear that people are still hungry for a word of life in the midst of death. Now, in looking at the scripture selections for these four weeks by following the Revised Common Lectionary, I think they're going to offer us a wonderful opportunity to model what it means to speak openly about death and also about the Christian hope of resurrection. This series may even allow us to kind of clear up some of society's misguided notions about and surrounding death as well. Now I want to say right up front that I recognize that talking about death can be very challenging and it is very possible that this series may spark many emotions, especially for those of us who have suffered a more recent loss. If at any time you would like to come and talk with me about your grieving or mourning, please reach out. I do not want this series to become harmful for anyone. That, of course, is never my intention when I share a message with you. Talking about death, going through the process of mourning, these things are hard for us because we are separated from someone that we love. And while we claim that we will see them again in paradise, in those places that God has prepared for us, we don't know exactly how long it will be until that time comes. We also don't know exactly how things will look or work or what we may remember exactly from our lives here on earth. <coughs> Theologists and philosophers have been debating literally for countless centuries about just what happens when and after we die. There are some who claim that we will not have our human bodies. Some have likened it to being uh, sources of light or of energy. But they also argue that we'll somehow be able to recognize one another still. There are others who argue that we will not carry any memories from our time here on earth, but even still we will all have love for one another. Now if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time, most of us, we kind of like our scripture readings comforting and uplifting, full of hope and encouragement. 
By a show of hands, who has read through at least part of the book of Revelation? Okay. Who thinks they understand it? Good crowd. All right. If you've ever, obviously those of you who have read through this or know parts of it, you probably are questioning my choice of this lectionary selection for today because it can be a hard place to find really much of anything that is, is comforting, at least at first glance. It can be challenging to find that, that nice coffee mug verse, if you will, out of the Revelation of John, although you probably could come up with some entertaining ones. When I was younger, my dad's mom, my grandmother, she collected those precious moments statues that I'm sure many of you have seen in either your own home or a loved one's home. And when I say collected, um, I'm very nicely saying hoarded. Um, She had a giant china cabinet in their dining room full. Um, To the point where, like, you weren't really sure if you could open the door and not have something fall. And and she loved those things. And one of her sisters-in-law, one of her brother's wives, also had been collecting them. And one of my, I don't know, third, fourth cousin, eight times removed, however that works, um, one of my relatives, when he was younger, decided that would be a great thing to climb on. Um, And needless to say, there weren't many precious moments left after that. My grandmother survived, though, thankfully. Um, And... I always thought they were kind of cute. They were, they were nice. They, you know, had these kind of happy scenes and whatnot. And as I got older and I started learning more about the Bible and scripture and started reading through things myself, I started paying closer attention to some of those precious moments figurines. And then I started to wonder, how would you depict the four horsemen of the apocalypse? as precious moments figurines. I just don't see like four little ponies with fire coming out of their nostrils working so well, but here nor there, I actually kind of tended to laugh at it. And to be honest, if that company, which I have no idea who owned them and if they still exist, if they came back with that now, they'd probably make a ton of money off of it from people in my generation, but... Now, the meaning and the intention of the book of Revelation has been debated for longer than you can possibly imagine. In fact, Revelation was not even included as part of the Bible when the council that was convened to bring everything together into a single tome finished their work. It wasn't until a later council, years later, of bishops and leaders that Revelation was added into what we now consider as the canon of the Bible. Um, It was written, pretty sure, about 95 years or so after Jesus' death. And when it comes to Scripture, we have to remember that there are some people who will take a very literal reading of the passages in the Bible. And then there are others who will take a more interpretive understanding of what is offered, There are those who will look at things just 
as they are written and try and place them into current in the current world. There are others who will look at the context of what was written, when it was written, who it was written to. It doesn't matter which one you pick, which way you do it. Everyone's got to try and understand things for themselves. Um, there are arguments on every single side of this way of looking at scripture, and people typically can defend their position fairly well. I think one of the primary intentions of Revelation, in all honesty, is, is to comfort the saints on the side of God's big reveal, if you will. I think it offers a word of hope to those whose worlds have come apart. Now, I will admit that most of the time I do not fall into the camp that believes that Revelation is a prediction or roadmap of the end times. And again, everyone's got to figure out stuff kind of for themselves. And I say that because this book especially has a lot of factors that can influence how you might choose to understand it. I tend to fall on the side of how the book is interpreted and understood as more imagery and analogy. And again, I don't want to get into a debate on this this morning. Um, I want to just kind of offer a few key things that leads me to my understanding. Again, I'm not saying that I am right. I'm just kind of telling you how it starts to make sense for me. The first thing is this book was written by an author who was in exile. But what does that mean? Being in exile could mean alone on a small island in the Mediterranean with little to no human contact, which, as social creatures, can become problematic to how we understand the world around us, and people can kind of start to lose their grasp on reality. However, you can also look at someone like Napoleon, who was in exile, but was still living a pretty good lifestyle and surrounded by many people who liked him. We don't know exactly what the author's exact situation was. Another thing is this book can be read from different viewpoints, and the one that I have found to be the most helpful has been as a critical commentary on Rome and the Roman government and leadership of the time in which it was written. And when I read it that way, some of the stranger parts of the book start to make a little bit more sense. Again, that's how it works for me. You have to remember that at the time this book was written, this revelation of John, you couldn't be critical of those who are in power. If you spoke against the Roman government, the leadership, heaven forbid, whichever person was running things that particular day since the emperor changed randomly and rapidly at times, that could get you killed. And so if you really, really wanted to complain about something, really critique it, the only way to do so and actually survive would be to use some imagery and some analogies. 
I feel like this is one of those times where one of my English teachers would be getting really excited because they always wanted to tell us, but what is it really saying? Um, so by not putting everything in perfect words, by using imagery and analogy and whatnot, it could help an author keep themselves out of trouble, or at least potentially. Again, this is one of the ways it can be interpreted. It's one of the ways that tends to make more sense to me. That doesn't mean that I am right, and it doesn't mean that if you come to a different conclusion that you are wrong. I'm just kind of giving you an idea of after time and study where I have ended up currently. That's not to say with time I might not you know, come to a different conclusion. But I do, I really do tend to think of Revelation as really more of a promise to those who feel as if they, all, if they are already at the end. A promise that a new beginning awaits. And I think this passage does a really good job of, of illustrating that. We are a resurrection people. We claim a belief in a risen Lord and Savior. We claim faith in life after death. And in our reading from this quirky book for today, the author is describing this glorious moment where a countless number of faithful people, these people who have lived through this great ordeal and have died and they are now with Christ, this mass of faithful people are seen robed in white and singing praises to God. The, the liturgist at Macon this morning, uh, Ed Clark, is a bit of a, a scripture study. He, he likes reading scripture. He likes learning and picking it apart. And his way of introducing this scripture today was to try and kind of illustrate for people what this is describing to help you kind of create that image in your head. And I think he did a really good job of it. He talked about how in other parts in this book, it talks about there are the 12 tribes and there are 12,000 people from each tribe gathering in this space. And according to, I believe he, I believe he said it was according to Google, the human eye can see about three miles in any direction in a clear, on a clear day. So if you assume that, you've got about six square miles that you could observe a group of 144,000 people, which I think when he did the math came out to about 10 people per acre, which might not sound super crowded, but you got to keep in mind too, other parts of this talk about this golden throne in the center, and there are these other groups, these other characters and people surrounding Stuff and they were all in a circle, so it might not have been, you might not have had a lot of arm room to move. Um, and I thought about, as he was explaining this, there are soccer stadiums in Europe and parts of uh, South America and other places that hold 50,000 people. And those stadiums are gigantic, and those wouldn't even hold roughly a third of the number of people that our scripture is talking about. So you're talking about a lot of people in a, not a super big space if you're able to actually see and count them as it sounds like the person describing the situation could. And so 
you've got this, this endless sea of white robes, Christians who had been bruised and beaten by life, who they spent, they spent their days in fear of persecution, and they are now together singing at the top of their lungs. Their robes have been cleansed with the blood of the Lamb. I admit, blood seems like an unusual choice of detergent. Nevertheless, this is a really powerful image. There's this, and it's not just like white, like, and I'm sure someone will be upset with me, this is probably like eggshell or off-white or something, but it's not like white like you're used to. I mean, blinding white, radiant white. The suffering, the stains of our brokenness, our fear, our worry, they are all washed clean. And not by our own doing, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Jesus' suffering redeems our suffering. Now again, if we can be honest, we don't really know what to do with death in our culture today. When someone we know loses a loved one, we don't really know what to say. And, and part of the problem in that is that there are no perfect words that are going to make it all better. There is probably really nothing you could say that will, will stop the grief and the pain they're experiencing. And when we lose someone precious to us, we don't really know how to ask the living who are around us for what we really need. A lot of that comes from the reality that, that we have no influence really over death and, and all of the mystery that surrounds death. Revelation is a reminder that, at least for the early Christians and really for many of our siblings around the world today, death was a constant reality. And not just death, but also martyrdom, as there were people being persecuted for their beliefs in Jesus Christ. And we still see that today. We see people persecuted for beliefs in Christ and for beliefs in other faith traditions. Whenever a faithful member of the church died, especially in the early church, the living would gather in the place where that person had died, or perhaps even in the catacombs near where they were being buried, not just to remember that person who had gone on to God, but also to remember their faith. You see, the early Christians knew that, that their faith didn't come out of, out of nowhere. It was their inheritance. It was something passed on to them by those who had come before. Perhaps that is the reason, or maybe part of the reason at least, that we have such a hard time with death in our culture. We, we tend to be very quick to, to forget those who came before us, or at the very least to, to try and, and recover from mourning, to just push it away and to move on. Because that's kind of what we're taught to do. Even though the truth is, it doesn't work like that. So today, of all days, 
I pray that we may give thanks for, for all of those who have stepped into that unseen horizon of grace, who have shaped us into the people that we are, those who have loved us and those who have failed us and everything in between. And those who call us now to a life of hope, to a life of daring to believe that death and pain do not have the final word. Scripture tells us that Christ alone has the final word over death. I think that's something else we we might forget sometimes. We can become so embroiled in pain and suffering, which that's normal and that's okay because pain and suffering are not fun and they tend to be overwhelming. But I think it makes it easier for us to forget that Christ has that final word over death. And when we think about this, when we realize this, it means, it means worshiping, even in the wreckage of a war-torn world. It means seeing that the world doesn't always see what we can see. That God has revealed a truth all too precious to tell that we are a family. We are all God's children. And as hard as it may be to believe, especially when we look at places like Israel and Palestine and Russia and the Ukraine, the truth is that one day we will sit together at a great feast we will be robed together in that dazzling, radiant white, not made by bleach, but by the blood of the Lamb. So yes, Revelation can be a very strange and quirky and even terrifying read at times. There are parts like this that remind us of the hope that we hold in Christ Jesus and that salvation that he died for in that great future that happens after we die. Death is not the end. It is only part of our journey. Amen. I'd like to invite you to turn to pages 15 and 16 in your hymnals as we prepare to celebrate Holy Communion. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, God of Abraham and Sarah, God of Miriam and Moses, God of Joshua and Deborah, God of Ruth and David. God of the priests and the prophets, God of Mary and Joseph, God of the apostles and the martyrs, God of our mothers and fathers, God of our children to all generations. 
And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join in their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ, By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by the water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit in us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Renew our communion with all your saints, especially those whom we have named before you in this gathering, as well as those we keep quietly on our hearts. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, strengthen us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now, the confidence of children of God, let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. The cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. In the United Methodist Church, we practice open communion. And what that means is that this table doesn't belong to me, to this church, or to our denomination. It belongs to Christ and Christ alone. And he has invited everyone to come and partake. It doesn't matter your age, your race, your ethnicity, your sexual identification or orientation, how much money you have, what your social standing is, whether you've been baptized or not, whether you're a member of any other faith community or not. None of that matters to him. All he cares about, because he looks out and sees beloved siblings, beloved children of God, all he asks is that you come forward with an open heart. This morning, as your rows are dismissed and you come forward, you will be presented with either 
wine or juice, you can choose which you would like to use, as well as a cube of bread. And then you can receive your elements in one of two ways. One is intinction, which is a really big word that just means you take your bread and you dip it in your juice or wine and then receive your elements together. You can also, or other option is to take the bread and then drink the juice or wine. Neither one's better than the other. They are just two traditions we have developed over the centuries. They are both equal in God's eyes. Neither one's going to get you a better grade on the report card. Brothers and sisters, the table has been set. Come and taste that God is good.
Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you would rise as you are able for our closing song, number 711 in the Red Pew Bibles for all the saints.
One additional announcement. Um, there will be an Advent uh, Bible study, and information on that will be coming out next week. I apologize. It was supposed to come out this week, but um, being under the weather, that didn't quite come together. So um, if you do not get our emails but would like to... Um, I think our email address is on the church website. Otherwise, call, leave a message, or come see me, and I'll make sure to add you to our list. Beloved children of God, of grace and love, cherished siblings of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, this day and every day, O taste and see that the Lord is good. And now may the God of hope keep you until Christ comes to take us all home to the places he has prepared for us and into the perfection of grace everlasting. Amen.